Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. Medical misinformation is spreading faster than the COVID-19 virus itself. With so much conflicting information about health, COVID-19, and vaccines, it's just difficult to know who to trust. A recent study by the British Medical Journal concluded that over one quarter of the most viewed videos on YouTube about COVID-19 contained misleading information. People want trusted facts, but it's so difficult to sort through the immense amount of overload of information. But today you're in for a treat because we have a special guest who will give us some tips to push back against misinformation. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. Today we'll talk about misinformation, where it comes from, how to sort through it, and what we can do about it. Joining us today is Mr. Robert Skinner, the Senior Special Advisor in the United Nations Department of Global Communications. Mr. Skinner was the Executive Director of the United Nations Office of Partnerships. He also served as the Director of the United Nations Information Center. He spent eight years in the U.S. State Department as a Foreign Service Officer and was formerly a public defender in Cook County. Rob, thank you so much for being here today. We're so excited to have you to talk about this very important concept about misinformation. Great, Asher. It's such a pleasure to be here with you on the on the Beaumont uh, House Call podcast. Um, as we were just talking before getting started, I'm a, a Michigan native and, and actually went to Oakland University, where I where I know that uh, you teach. Uh, and so it's great to be connected and, and great to be uh, kind of coming home and, and, and being back at home. Yeah, it's always great to be in company with fellow Michiganders. So thank you. Um, can you tell us what exactly is misinformation? And then how is that different from disinformation? Yeah, it, it's an interesting um, separation between the two. And, you know, both can be, you know, equally harmful. And you know, th- th- I'll take the disinformation first. You know, disinformation is, is something that is spread intentionally. It, it's bad information that, for whatever reason, it, you know, a business, a government, um, a, a you know, a, a NGO or some entity spreads intentionally, and, and sometimes it's just to sell a product to make a profit um, from people not, not understanding, um, and sometimes it, it's just to you know shift you know priorities to some extent. But but misinformation is something that that our friends spread, our mm-hmm. family members. Anyone that's sort of in our networks that we, that we see um, come across our screens that is, in many cases, trying to help, you know, th- but they're just getting so much information. Um, they're, they're seeing th- this content on their screens and they feel like, OK, I need to share this. This has gotten me excited. It's gotten me scared. Um, it's a miracle cure um, that, that someone has found. And I'm going to share it with my networks, whether that's their public networks um, you know, that, that, that they have on Facebook whether it's Messenger, whether it's WhatsApp, whatever the network is that they want to share it on, they just decide that they want to get this information out. Um, and, and in some ways, you know, that that's more dangerous because, you know, often we're getting that misinformation from a trusted source. Right. Um, you know, from someone we know, someone that's in our network, someone that, that we feel is a is a is a friend and someone that's trying to help us. Um, and again, it's often shared with absolutely no bad intent. 
it, it's just trying to move the information in ways that in many cases people think is helpful and it's just not. And that's why, you know, we've come up with some techniques to try and slow that that spread of misinformation. Yeah. And you kind of touched on this about sort of who spreads this false information. You know, it could be, like you said, with malintent from certain organizations, but oftentimes it's just regular people like you and me um, that end up spreading this information, um, thinking that it is solid information, but perhaps it is not, or taking things out of context or just reading certain parts of the article and sending it forward. Um, and then it then spreads misinformation um, all over. When we look at false information, why does it circulate so fast, more so than almost fact does? Because it's compelling and because it excites us and because it, we, we feel like we have something that's important and needs to be shared. And, I, you know, I, in some ways, you give credit to the folks that are producing the, the original producers of this content because they have made it compelling. Um, and, and what we've seen as we've done some analysis of the content that gets shared, it's something that, you know, it, it may be an infographic that that has what appears to be real data on it that's false but it looks very very nice it's 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 put together nicely and people say oh that's that must be a legitimate piece of content somebody took the time to make this nice graphic design put these photos in it i want to share that because it because it looks like a nice piece of content and it must be good um and we've seen that you know and this is you know to 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 be honest about my organization the united nations and some of our colleagues we're really good at putting together detailed analysis and, you know, 200 yes. page reports. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're not good at creating that really compelling, super hard kinds of pieces of content that people want to want to share and move out. And that's what we've done with the Verified Initiative is try and say the folks that we're trying to battle that are putting out the misinformation or the disinformation are good at this. We have to recognize that we have to come up with a content that is as compelling or more compelling than what we're doing. So we've taken a lot of the content that are that we put out on health and try to simplify it and, and, and put it in this in this more understandable, attractive looking formats, whether it's very short videos or whether it's just uh, social media cards that have a, have simple graphics that explain, you know, how a vaccine works or, or explains, you know, how to avoid getting COVID in the first place, how to properly wear a mask, those, those kinds of things. So that it's more understandable because, um, you know, we're taking on people that, uh, at least from the original content shares, that know what they're doing and, and know how to make attractive content. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about false information, a lot of times I think about rumor spreading, you know, like you think about back being in high school and a rumor spreads and it spreads like wildfire. Um, I think a lot of times it has to do with our emotions as human beings, uh, the play of fear or uncertainty. Um, so, you know, for example, like even the COVID-19 pandemic, there's plenty of people that deny that it is that it is occurring. Um, and you can look at it like, oh, my gosh, how can you deny it? Me as a healthcare worker who worked in the COVID units and was on the front lines, I'm just, it makes me angry to think that. Oh, how can you think it's fake? But then sometimes I, I step back and think a, a little bit more on the lines of compassion and I think, you know, maybe there is a little bit of a denial factor of not wanting to believe the truth or wanting something um, that's a quick fix. So, you know, for example, like in my office, I, I have patients uh, talking to me all the time about various things. And I had one patient saying, you know, I, I'm taking vitamin C. I don't think I need to mask. Um, I think that should be fine. I've read a lot of studies about vitamin C. They're even giving it in the hospitals. So, uh, you know, I don't need to mask doctor. And so in my head, I'm thinking, well, there's a lot more to masking than just protecting 
you know, yourself, it's protecting other people. And, you know, vitamin C, yes, there are some benefits to it, etc. And my immediate reaction is to try to correct the information, right. But uh, I think most of the studies are kind of telling us to attack it differently. And this is what I wanted to pick your brain about in terms of on social media. So we talked about the office setting briefly, but I'm going to flip back to social media. So a lot of times, let's say we have a friend that posts something on our wall, or you post something, and we know it's false. And then people are just commenting on it and commenting on it. I think the human gut reaction is to immediately engage in some kind of back and forth, or try to correct the information or correct the person on the spot. And I, I think I mentioned to you that I'm working with a group of physicians uh, and a grassroots organization called This Is Our Shot. It's a hashtag, This Is Our Shot. And in this organization, we we sit together with 50 plus physicians. There's over 200 physicians involved, but across the nation. And we were just talking about that. Like if you post information online, a lot of times, for example, we're talking about the vaccine and the COVID-19 vaccine. And you have some, maybe someone who's an anti-vaxxer who comes on there and just starts belligerently um, saying things to try to counter what you're saying or say things that are blatantly false. And our immediate reaction is to say something back or to engage. Um, But as we were talking to people that were experts in the field of um, communication, they were kind of discouraging us from doing that and saying, you know, that just kind of adds more fuel to the fire and it continues to polarize the situation. So what would what would be your advice of the best way to um, sort of address, let's talk about online misinformation where you see it and you know it's false. How do you either correct that or how do you engage with that? Yeah, Asha, I think you've got it pretty much exactly right. And I'm sure you're learning a lot. And I mean, it would probably do us all a lot of good if we could hear some of the conversations you have with your patients and, and some of the things that they say to help us understand. So I think we all have a lot of, a lot to learn from the physicians that are actually having that close personal engagement um, with folks who, in some cases, you see folks who have COVID and still don't believe that it's a, that it's real. Um, and, and so that's been a very important part of, of our conversations is actually speaking with uh, physicians like yourself and healthcare workers who are on the front lines and seeing just what the beliefs are um, that are out there and they're, and they're, they're wide ranging. And so um, to your point that, you know, that, that it's not always the best reaction to just immediately sort of attack somebody and tell them that they're wrong. Uh, I think mm-hmm. there has to be an understanding of where they're coming from and what may be making them have this particular, you know, worldview or what kind of emotions they're bringing to, you know, to the uh, conversation. Um, and 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 you're also correct in saying that you know people in some cases just don't want to believe in it because it's not you know convenient. It, it forces lifestyle changes. It forces them to do things they don't want to do. Um, and so it's preferable to just say, well, I'm not going to worry about it because I don't believe it exists. And so one of the things that that we did is we worked with the Center for Public Interest Communications at the University of Florida Mm -hmm. to come up with a a guide. And it was more specifically around vaccines and and vaccine hesitance. But but it's effective for all the online communication and thinking about when you get that post, when, you know, your friend, your uncle, um, you know, pushes something across the across the channels that's false. And, you know, think about what, the, you know, what is going through that person's mind? What kind of emotions are they feeling? What are their motivations? Um, and and why would they be deciding to push that? And, and maybe going back and, 
you know, in privately saying to that individual saying, you know, I just saw that that piece you posted on Facebook. Are you sure that that's correct? That doesn't seem right to me. But don't try not to shame people and try mm-hmm. not to be angry with them so that they feel like they have to be defensive because you're you're absolutely correct because in many cases that just locks people more firmly into their positions um, rather than, than going into you know an, an engagement in a conversation where you can maybe say you know you know look, go back and check your original source on that you know go back and find out when that actually was published and those are some of the things we're trying to do too is look at them um, you know sort of ask people to look at the source of the content and why would someone send it to you in the first place? What are the date that that was actually originally published? Um, you know, we, I think we've all have, you know, friends, whether it's around the, you know, politics or whether it's around the COVID that send you something and you say, well, that seems kind of weird. And I had a good friend who did that to me several months ago, sent me something and it was dated 2016. And yes. I said, well, that's, that's that accurate it may have been accurate then but it's not anymore and and it's honest mistakes often and and particularly folks in our networks i mean it, it try to have an engaging conversation and don't don't um you know create a, an online battle because the other thing that, that does in some cases it actually raises the profile of the original misinformation and it gets it more views so yeah do you know um, can you talk a little bit about like the logarithm with driven within social media and like popularity of posts and if someone writes something and it's um, false and then someone likes it um, or someone comments and the more comments it has and the more views it has in kind of the social media, media algorithm, it sort of starts popping up more in people's news feeds or it starts um, almost spreading more uh, regardless of what you're writing uh, in that post. Because a lot of times people don't read the 35 comments that are below. Um, it's, it's bringing more attention to the article. Can you talk a little bit about the logarithm of like social media and what you, what you know about that from your work at the UN? Yeah, and I'll, I'll preface by saying I'm, I'm not an expert on the algorithms, but I will say that we have, particularly on COVID-19, have, have had interactions with the social media platforms mm-hmm. about the idea that um, they should be promoting the uh, you know, factual, accurate, science-based con- um, content and pushing that content up. And, you know, and, and they, they've been pretty positive about doing that. Um, and, and at the same time, asking them to pull down content that is that is obviously false. And I think that's, you know, between um, the, the political situation and between and with uh, COVID-19, I think there's a great sensitivity, you know, to the fact that this bad information and the proliferation of the bad information, whether it's through the algorithms or, or other, um, you know, means that it's actually killing people, that yeah. people are getting this bad information and they're dying because of it. And that, there is a responsibility that needs to be taken. And so, you know, we continue those conversations, um, you know, because we know that certainly as we get into the the, the various vaccines that are uh, getting approved and rolling out, uh, as we go into this next phase, uh, this next hopeful phase uh, with the vaccines, um, that it's going to be critical that the information be continue to be accurate and that the science-based information, the fact-based information about the vaccines gets a priority and gets more views than, than than the bad information that's going to be out there, the misinformation that's going to flow. So who do you think is kind of responsible for stopping the spread of misinformation? Honestly, I, th- I think we all are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there's the, um, you know, there's the social media platforms who need to take uh, some responsibility. There's all of us that uh, are, are active on social media and are, you know, and, and posting 
on things and and making sure that that uh, information is accurate. And you know, one of the things that that we came up with um, as a as a campaign, and this is just something we thought we we would having seen some academic research about it, and then we thought we would try and implement a global campaign around it, is, is, is getting people to pause when they get a piece of content across their screen. It's like we we're talking about, this, this content is designed to heighten your emotional reaction to it. It's designed to make you feel excited because it feels like a miracle cure, or it's designed to just scare you into taking an action because it's some, some sort of dreadful um, news about what the next phase of COVID is going to be like or, or something like that. And so we, we decided we'd ask people to pause and take care before they share. And we had a, an actual campaign around it. It's just, just try to get people to even in, in that research indicates that even four or five seconds of, of looking at a piece of content helps people take down that emotion, whatever that emotion is, and will and actually diminish the possibility that they're going to share that content. And uh, we're waiting for some specific research on that because we've had some research done uh, around it. Um, and we're hoping to have that and, and publish it out, uh, and get it out soon. But the initial feedback we have is that it actually is effective, that it does slow down, slow down. I did see, you know, um, you know, the verified campaign of pause before you share. So I have this funny story. It's actually really not funny, but it, it kind of is. So, um, you know, here back in March in Michigan, uh, many healthcare workers were deployed to work uh, the COVID units. Um, and I was one of those physicians. So later on in, in October, a friend of mine forwards me an article and it says, you know, all Michigan health workers deployed to work on COVID-19 unit. And I was like, oh, no, we got to go. We're doing it again. And I freaked out and I forwarded it to two of my friends. Right. And then my friend sends it back to me and says, this is from March 2020. And I just felt so silly. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the pause before you share. I did not pause before I shared. I did not check the date of the article or the source of the article. And it's like you said, it's that sensational news headline that kind of catches your emotion and your immediate gut reaction is like, oh, my God, I have to tell somebody. Right. Um, yeah. Now, that's exactly right. And so I kind of I really liked that initiative with Verified. So let's kind of move into Verified a little bit. So for our listeners that don't really know about what Verified is, can you just talk about what Verified is and how the partnership with the United Nations and what are some of the outcomes of the Verified campaign? Just the volume of information that comes at us can be so overwhelming in this digital age um, that we felt like, you know, with uh, COVID-19, we had to take very quick action to, to put up. Um, what our Secretary General, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres described as a, you know, the COVID-19 Communications Response Initiative uh, from the UN that is system-wide to try and try and take this on, um, because it's a global phenomenon. It's not something that's, you know, that's just happening in the U.S. or locally. And so we really knew we had to have a global response to it, um, you know, and, and that's how that's how we got started, and that's how we created what we have come up with as the Verified Initiative, um, and we're working very closely with the. Uh, sort of a social impact communications uh, um, entity called Purpose um, that's a, a solid partner. And of course, working with partners around the world. Um, so, you know, it, it's just trying to take all the experience we have in, in effective communications and, you know, and, and implement this project in a way that we're combating uh, in, in misinformation. And, you know, and, and what we've seen is that there's a misinformation, but um, as, as colleagues across the UN system, including the, the head of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros have said it's an infodemic. There's mm -hmm. just so much information. How do we sort through it and find out what is accurate? 
when our screens are constantly popping w- with something new yeah. um, that, that, that causes us to, you know, to, to take some sort of action in some cases when we should. Any of the listeners who want to go have a look at the website can go to uh, shareverified.com um, is the website, and it's in multiple languages for uh, uh, users who uh, would, would like to have it and see it in, in maybe their own language or their native language. Um, it's uh, it's uh, 10 languages, actually. Um, and the, the idea was that we needed to get people to be sharing verified content. Um, we're not trying to create too much content, again, going back to the infodemic, but making sure that we are aware of what kind of misinformation is flowing and combat that with um, the accurate, actual science-based content that we're getting from the scientists, from the professionals, from the healthcare workers you know, like yourself about what's what's people need to be doing. And the challenge of COVID is that it's a global you know, pandemic. And as you indicated, it's the, the most difficult health crisis we've dealt with, um, you know, in, in recent history. And it's certainly the most difficult crisis um, that the United Nations and the United Nations system has dealt with since its inception um, in the 75 years that we've existed, because it's happening everywhere at the same time, but sort of in different phases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so what Verified is trying to do with getting that, you know, science-based factual information out is is, is track what's happening out there in the different parts of the world and target our content to that misinformation that's, that's there. Um, you know, because what you may be, what our you know, folks may be hearing in Nigeria is not the same as what they're hearing in Massachusetts, is not the same as they're hearing in, in India or Vietnam, et cetera. So saying, and what we have is an advantage for our, in the United Nations system, we have offices everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So we can track that through our offices and through partners around the world and the idea was to get that information across as many screens as we possibly can. And something is very different for the UN. What we've asked, we've asked the world to join us. We've asked individuals to join us. Um, and at the shareverify.com, at the website, you'll see there's an opportunity for people to sign up and be information volunteers, which means they will get three to four times a week, get a piece of content that they can then share with up-to-date accurate information about what's happening and put it out into their, their social networks. And so it's not a top-down approach where the UN is asking people to do something. We're saying, join us in this effort, be part of it. Every person everywhere can help us take on this, uh, take on the pandemic and be part of the solution with us. You know, so so that was the idea behind Verified. And I think that folks often look to the UN as sort of, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a top-down, it's a large bureaucracy. Um, it puts out information, again, as I said, those long reports. But what we're trying to do here is is bring citizens and bring people into the conversation so that they can interact with the, the content and, and move it around themselves. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that, you know, like the United Nations is such a large entity. And most of us, uh, you know, regular people are dealing with misinformation and trying to sort through information. And, uh, you know, physicians are not excluded from that. So there was a study done just recently. It was actually, it was a survey. It wasn't a study. Who's the most trusted messenger? And that went out between like November of 2020 and December of 2020. And it came back that the most trusted health messengers for the you know, average person was by 85% doctors, your primary care physician, 
73% was the CDC, the Centers of Disease Control, and 70% was like your local health department. 70% was also the FDA, and 68% was Dr. Fauci, um, and then 58% was the government, right? So with that, me being a physician, that, that puts a huge responsibility on me as a provider to be able to not only sort through information myself, but to be able to have those conversations with everyday people, the patients, the, pe the people that it really affects. And we know that how detrimental to health um, false information can be. So one, one story I want to share is that you know, I had a patient that came in who had read about fenugreek. Okay, So she said she's a diabetic, and she said, I read about fenugreek. It seems great. Uh, I think I'm going to stop taking my diabetic medication. I'm going to now start taking fenugreek. And so, you know, immediately in my head, so many things are going through my thoughts as in she has to be on this medication. What is she talking about this fenugreek? What is the study that she's reading? Like all of these things. But I, from the verified campaign, I thought to myself, I'm going to pause here for a second. And then I'm going to listen with a little bit more compassion rather than immediately trying to correct or discredit her source or ask, ask her what her source is. Because, again, it comes off as more um, defensive or attacking. So instead, I just asked her, like, what are your goals for wanting to be on fenugreek? What's attractive about that for you? And, uh, you know, she explained to me that she, it was natural and that actually her medication was kind of expensive. And so it was a cheaper option for her. And she thought there would be more um, less side effects. So with that, we were able to have a better dialogue about what was rooted, what was so attractive about the information that she received that she wanted to take on that information or she wanted to believe that information. Um, and a lot of times, like, like you also mentioned, it's not that it's false. Fenugreek actually does help lower your blood sugar. But it, that's just one piece of it. So you have to know much more of like how bad the diabetes is, how much do you take, and all of these things. And so I feel like for... For physicians, it's really, we have the unique opportunity to be able to discuss these things with our patients. I mean, time constraints are always an issue in the office setting. It's always kind of a stressful environment because you're there because you're sick or uh, one of those things. But we have that unique opportunity to be able to have those conversations. But I was thinking about that from a, a global sense and, a, and a from a regular everyday person sense is that when we start really having the goal of not trying to convince people that they're wrong, but rather to d maybe direct them to more credible information um, or maybe just listening to them with compassion to find out what about this information is so um, enticing, I think that we can sort of start seeing like the value structure. And a lot of what I've learned about misinformation is that it's kind of all around trust. And it's how do you build trust with organizations and individuals and government and entities so that when information comes from those places that they're trusted. And like you mentioned, you know, people are getting information from their trusted brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and churches and groups. So I guess what are some ways that we can further build trust in some of the academia or organizations that are putting out fact-based information but perhaps are kind of being ignored maybe because of the length of it or the complexity of the information. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, thanks, Ashley. The first thing I'd say is that that patient definitely chose the right doctor <laughs> to come talk to. <laughs> and, and so, and because that's, that's, that's great that you're, you're taking the time and exploring those conversations that way. I mean, that fits, you know, perfectly into what we're saying with some of the, the research that we've done in that study that I referenced earlier, uh, you know, about, you know, 
understanding the worldview and, and, and why um, an individual, and in, in this case, the patient came to this conclusion um, without speaking to you first, uh, because that right. would be, my advice would be, well, check with your doctor <laughs> first um, before you decide you're going to go on or off any kind of medication. Um, but you know, I think that that's, that we have to know, and, and as the institution that we are, the United Nations and our colleagues at the World Health Organization, um, and at UNICEF and all of the entities that, that make up the, the health response um, to the system and the communications around it is understanding that, well, we would all like to think, we all want to believe that wherever we work and, 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 all, and that all of our friends are, have the right answers about how we should go about doing things, that we're not always the most trusted messengers mm-hmm. um, and that we have to work with those who are the, the most trusted messengers. And in this case, I mean, the, the analysis that we've had in the research we've done about who are the most trusted messengers aligns perfectly with the study that you referenced. It is doctors, physicians, and, and healthcare professionals. And the people that it, it, hopefully the patients are familiar with, um, have had contact with, um, and can have you know those appointments with, whether it's an in-person appointment, whether it's a digital appointment, or whether it's some kind of interaction with an office. Um, and th- that's one of the reasons as we go into this next phase of our, our verified work where we're trying to enhance vaccine confidence um, as well as vaccine equity. Um, and, and I mean, making sure that healthcare workers, particularly in the, across the world, have an opportunity to be vaccinated um, in the next several months as we get more vaccine production and more vaccines approved um, to, to take care of our, our heroes. Um, around the world in the healthcare profession, the ones that are have been on the front lines throughout, we think that's absolutely critical. But to just to to use those voices um, because you are the trusted professionals, um, and so if if folks you know see you getting the vaccine and see uh, their their own doctors getting the vaccine, seeing the nurses, uh, you know, like we've all seen um, on our screens over the last several weeks in the U.S. and different places, we think that can enhance the confidence, and we have to be able to. Um, you know, have real and honest conversations with people who, in many cases, have legitimate fears and mm-hmm. concerns about these things and, and not just assume that everyone who is hesitant is in the anti-vax movement. Right. I mean, the anti-vax movement is its own, is its own you know, special um, challenge and, and issue. But there are the folks in the middle who may have watched the process and how quickly the vaccine developed or may be hearing different things in their community and having that real conversation with them, you know, whether it's, again, it's in person or whether it's through the social channels and saying, no, no, here's why you need to take the vaccine. For some people, it'll be, you know, they want to protect themselves. Others, it will be they want to protect their family. Others, it will be, you know, they've, they've come to understand that in their uh, church community or, or in their workplace um, that it's going to be important for them to be vaccinated and take care of all the people that they interact with. So, you know, identifying you know, what that worldview is, where they're coming from, and the emotion that they're feeling about these things, because these are real emotions. And we should always remember that these are these are people that we've all been dealing with these these challenges. Um, I hate to say that I've had a pretty difficult challenge because I've just been asked to work at home and manage to do it. But people have lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have, have, you know, not been able to say goodbye to their loved ones because of the, the nature of the, the COVID treatment and the cont- and contagion, which all, all of which, you know, way way better than I do because you're on the front lines. But, um, you know, and it's an, and there are a lot of unknowns. And I think we have to be honest about that, too. 
that you know things have changed over time, and particularly as we go in with these you know multiple vaccines that are going to be rolled out, they this question about the uh, the variants yep. um, that are hitting, and and be able to you know have that empathy uh, that, that that is critical, and whether again whether that's talking to individuals you know one on one or in small groups, or whether it's you know putting out messaging. Um, you know, that, that hopefully thousands will see uh, on social. Yeah, I think uh, that's part of the challenge is that uh, in the scientific community, there's a lot of changing information. I think the one thing that I've taken as a lesson about misinformation and disinformation and all of the overwhelming information is that we have to build trust. And I think that especially in uh, minority communities and, you know, communities of color, um, it's important that throughout we have representation, not only in leadership, um, leadership in healthcare industries and public health and government, but including communities in decision making, in um, having patient voices be heard from various communities. Because I think only when everyone's at the table can we really understand kind of the background fears, um, what are some of the hesitancies, and then what is really uh, what are some of the values and the beliefs of various communities? And, and culture plays a role in that. So I think although at this point we're in the middle of a pandemic and we have to run with what we have, for for looking towards the future about combating misinformation, I think that if you're a healthcare industry or you're uh, a business or you you know work for a nonprofit or whatever and you're trying to help disseminate information to your um, clients and to the public, we have to be able to build that trust before a pandemic hits. Because all of a sudden, if all this information comes out and it's coming from everywhere, everyone's got frequently asked questions, people all have myth busters, everyone's sending so many things and no one knows who to trust and who to turn to. So they turn to who they normally trust. And as we mentioned, it appears to be mostly their primary care physicians um, or you know family members or church members or people from their community. So I think that there is, there is some something to be learned and said in terms of inclusion um, and equity in terms of having everyone at the table in these important decision makings when it comes to things like vaccine rollout or when it comes to things like um, trying to put a public health message out. I mean, there. It, it, this has to be um, inclusive as we try and tackle the pandemic. It has to be inclusive as we try and recover from the pandemic and move ahead. And I think that, you know, we're looking at the, the recovery phases, you know, as hopefully, you know, continuing to get the vaccines into people's arms um, in an inclusive, equitable way, you know, both across countries and within countries. We can't have a situation where the wealthy countries are, are holding the vaccines back and not, again, first taking care of the healthcare workers um, in the developing countries because it's, um, you know, this isn't a one country situation. And I, and I think that's becoming more clear as, as we see these variants develop that, you know, no matter where it's coming from, it's going to land um, in your neighborhood right. eventually. Yep. Um, and and that if we're not making sure that there's equitable distribution to vaccines, whether it's UK, Brazil, South Africa, to name uh, where a few of the variants have been first seen that are coming, then then we're not going to be able to tackle it here in the United States. So I, I'm hoping that that's that people are getting an understanding uh, of that, and then we need to take care of people around the world as we go forward. But then we have to say, okay, how are we going to make sure our health systems survive so that we can take on th these global global pandemics in the future? How are we going to make sure there's equitable conversations around uh, how we're going to do that? 
And then, I mean, we have to also discuss a little bit about the economic toll this is taking a lot on a lot of folks. Um, you know, no one's been untouched by it one way or another. And how are we going to make the recovery economically inclusive as well to, as we try and build back the systems and build back the societies in a better way? So I'm going to shift gears a little bit and just kind of get some quick answers from you, because I think many of our listeners <laughs> are looking at tips and ways to deal with this. I think we all understand it's a huge problem. We all understand that it's overwhelming and that we need trusted messengers, but it's like the day-to-day person, like how do they kind of myth bust for themselves? So here's one question. Uh, What do you think about fact-checking tools, things like mediafactcheck.com or NewsGuard or HealthGuard, like these online fact-checking tools? Yeah, I I think that they're they're definitely useful tools. Um, And and we're using several of them around the world. Um, So there, there are... I don't want to endorse one above the other necessarily, but sure. we have identified, um, you know, very good fact-checking outlets, um, you know, for the U.S. sort of North American market, Latin America, Africa, and Europe that um, that are contributing to the way we're tracking um, the misinformation. So um, it's definitely worth uh, worth doing, um, you know, and. You know, you can even fact check a little. Just, just uh, if something comes across your your screen, you can just Google it and see see what the original sourcing is, see where it comes from. I mean, it goes back to the pause moment. I mean, if you see this piece of content, just just pause for a second, think about does this really make sense, um, and and uh, have a look for yourself. But but uh, I, I know we're supposed to be providing short answers, so I'll leave it as yes. The fact checking, a lot of the fact checking outfits are excellent. <laughs> yes, so I, I actually have a fact checking tool on my computer, and I found it to be very helpful because it kind of it puts a green check mark by all verified sources. And so, for people who don't know, fact checking tools are developed by people who are not only skilled in the media, so they understand how to have news literacy, but they're also people, public health officials, and researchers, etc. So I feel like it's a very well vetted source that help you kind of sort through that. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, if it's like a sensational headline or something like, you know, cure for weight loss, you know. Um, and if it's not in several places more than once. So what I tend to do is if I find an article, I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. I tend to put it in a Google search and, and check the major news networks. Um, and if it's not repeated in any of the major news networks, I tend to look at the website and it, it, on the website of where the information comes from, almost all like verified content has an about us section. And a lot of them sound really, you know, legitimate, you know, like news today or or health news today or yeah. something like that. You know, they, they sound very legit. But I think if you can't find the same article or the same content of the article in more than one source and not in the reputable uh, major news network, it's, it's likely to be false. Um, so what are like, if you could give us three tips on how to sort through misinformation, I'll give some and you'll, you can give some. Always check the date of the content. You know, always check the, the, the source, as, as you just said, Asha. I mean, you covered that topic really well. It is, it is exactly right. If you can't find it repeated um, in a new source that, that you trust, and if the website it does not have a, a you know a full content on it. You can't find out who's behind it. Like as you said, there's always an about us, and then there's always about who we are. And if you can't get that, then it's probably not legitimate. Um, and then then it's just you know when you're getting content that's from you know friends, family, folks like that. Um, you know think about why they might have sent it, or where they might have sent it, or or, or or what kind of news sources or what kind of sources they're looking at. Um, and be willing to, again, as we talked about earlier, softly ask the question 
about what they're doing, um, and, you know, or where they found the content so that they maybe can 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 stop it. Again, we don't want to, you know, be any, any aggressive or combative or uh, challenging with, with folks on it. You have to uh, consider, you know, th- their their sense of where they're coming from. But it, but it's just a matter of thinking. And again, going back to that pause and you know, people just need to to be very thoughtful about the information they're sharing. You know, um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's the intentional disinformation out there sometimes that sometimes comes from what uh, one would think would be reputable sources. So you have to be cautious about that. Um, and, and just let's all take care of each other as we work through this uh, pandemic, um, because it, as we as we've discussed, uh, Asha, this is this is something new. It's something different. We've never lived through anything like this. A lot of people have dealt with a lot of loss. There's a lot mm-hmm. of grief out there. And we just have to be patient and understanding and do our best to take care of each other. Um, and, and you're doing that. I appreciate it. a really great deal what, what Beaumont House Call Podcast is doing. The fact that you're, you're taking time to have these conversations, really working hard to, to educate um, you know, your listeners and the, and the public. And, and thank you for what you're doing. And, and thanks to you know, all the healthcare workers out there who have you know, certainly demonstrated that uh, we would be lost without all of you taking this on. And it's the appreciation that everyone should have for all of you. Oh, Rob, that was so that was so beautiful. And honestly, the work that you guys are doing also um, in the UN and all the work that you've done throughout your career around crisis communication and communication, I think is very important and helpful. And we're just so honored that you could have joined us here today um, and share your expertise. So I think some of the take homes is really just be compassionate, even when it comes to misinformation, no matter how angry it might make you um, or the emotions that might bubble up in you is, you know, we should all be compassionate towards one another. We're all vulnerable to misinformation, you, me, doctors, non-doctors, patients, everyone. Um, and as you said so beautifully, Robert, we're all in this together. Don't forget, podcast listeners, we're working on future Beaumont House Call podcasts. Some episodes you might be interested in are the COVID vaccines rollout episode and also the first COVID-19 vaccine episode, where we talk about everything you need to know about the vaccine. We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at Beaumont.org. In the future, we'll be answering our mailbag. Till the next time, thank you for joining us on the Beaumont House Call. We leave you today with this healthy thought. There has never been a greater need for accurate information. Misinformation spreads online, in messaging apps, from person to person. Its creators use these savvy production and distribution methods that are just trying to outsmart us. But by using some of the tips we learned today, we can be more empowered. We talked about talking to your trusted health professional. Maybe attend a town hall where there is a physician at the table. Avoid sensational headlines. Make sure you read an entire article and not just the headline. Pause before you share. Check the date of an article and make sure you look at the source of where the article was coming from. With some of these tips, we can be more aware, pause, and stop the spread of misinformation. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.